Hudson's Bay believe they might have a branding problem as well after the company, uh, speaking of losses, posted a net loss of, how about this, $462 million for the fiscal quarter just ending uh, early August, August the 3rd. They lost nearly $500 million in that quarter. That's a number that will get anyone's attention. Here's our marketing expert from Brand Heroes Marketing, Mike Leon, joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mike, that's a pretty big number. <laughs> it sure is, Jeff. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Hudson's Bay say that the, they're actually going to uh, transition their brand. They're going to kind of do a bit of a uh, retooling. Uh, what exactly have they got in mind? What have they got planned, Mike? Well, who knows? I mean, you know, at this stage, you know, they're they're talking about a number of things. I mean, you know, saying goodbye to some brands that they were selling that weren't working as well, introducing some other ones, trying to streamline operations. Um, will it work? It's hard to say because, I mean, you know, retail, Jeff, has been a, a contentious industry for a very long period of time. And, you know, there's arguments to be made, especially as you look at the buying power of millennials, which are coming online and having more families and they're increasing their spending years. There's the argument to be made of what's the value of a brick and mortar retail location versus um, purchasing online. So from a brand name standpoint, it brings up a lot of interesting questions about just what experience does retailers like the Bay offer that necessitates coming into a store? And it's an interesting question, which I don't know if there's a solid answer to that yet. Yeah, is uh, when they talk about dropping some of the brands that aren't selling and bringing on some others, I mean, I don't know, do they want to get hipper? Is that what they want to do? They're trying to attract a younger crowd where maybe the traditional Bay shopper has been in the older demographic? Well, you know what? I think that's part of it, and that's what drove their strategy a, a little while back. Because you know, they uh, like if we go back, you know, probably even as recent as about five years ago, Jeff, um, the Bay introduced a lot of upscale brands, and now I think you know, with the demise of Sears, uh, some of that shifted away a little bit, and they were trying to capture some of the the consumers that would have been lost from Sears. But, you know, if you walk through the Bay, like especially like a flagship store like the Eaton Center, you're going to see a ton of high-end uh, merchants. And when I when I went in about a week ago, it was kind of interesting just to see, you know, how people were looking and how they were shopping. So I don't know if that strategy is working. And I think, you know, when you add in like just the absolute sheer cost of Toronto real estate and whether you're creating that kind of experience that people really want to be able to justify coming in, I don't think it's there. So, unfortunately, this is a pretty painful sign of maybe some other things to come. Yeah, it was about a year ago I was walking through the uh, bay. I mean, I've been there since, but uh, I still remember a year ago I was walking through the men's department. And, Mike, it was like a nightclub. They had like a DJ there spinning music, uh, loud music. They were handing out uh, beverages and drinks. Uh, You know, credit to them, they're trying to make it an event and and do something uh, a little different. But I don't even know if something like that is really going to get people in store. Well, you know, it's it's interesting when you say that, Jeff, because I think about a month ago, Cadillac Fairview announced that they were going to be creating something to the effect of a creator space in the Eaton Center. So they were taking a, a store that didn't have a, a, a client in there at the point, and they were basically developing what YouTube did in Toronto before they pulled out, which was studio space for people to come in and make videos and make stuff. And the justification at the time is that this is our audience there who sh- who you know, who is shopping at the Eaton Center, we want to create an outlet for them to be creative. That sounds cool, but at the same time, is it 
maybe too much of a stretch between that and actual actually helping them buy something. And it sort of reminds me of the same thing that you're saying about this nightclub experience that, you know, that could be great. And that's all well and good to, to make people happy and add to the atmosphere. But unless it's really pushing a purchase behavior, does it run the risk of potentially being a distraction? And I, I'm kind of wondering if that's the case. Yeah, because, you know, when I was in there, I was just, I can't even remember what I was shopping for. Let's say it was a scarf. It was coming up uh, winter. I mean, there's so much distraction, so many people kind of up in my grill and enjoying the music, having a good night. All I want is a scarf. That's all I came in here for. (laughs) For sure. And you know what? This is what, what sometimes becomes the question and the dividing line around, do I go online or do I go brick and mortar? You know, I contrast it to an experience like when you go into Harry Rose. You know, you walk in, they offer you a cappuccino or a coffee. You get treated very, very nicely. You get to sit really I've never been chair. offered that at Harry Rosen. You must be a different level of customer, Mike Leon. <laughs> I'm demanding a cappuccino next time. You do it. You do it. Oh, my, thank you. <laughs> but is, is this something that is just generic to the Bay, or is it retail a, as a whole? Because you look at the older demographic who's maybe done a lot of their buying and purchasing already. And is there a shift going on with the next generation, with the millennials, when it comes to consumerism? I think there absolutely is. And, you know, I don't think it necessarily spells the death of the brick and mortar, but I think what it does do is spell a very, very different way of shopping in a brick and mortar location. You know, and banks have really caught on to this, right? That, you know, if you're starting to go into some more modern branches, you're seeing the amount of teller stations reduced quite drastically in some cases. You're seeing them replaced with these electronic stations where people could do self-serve banking. They're teched out with a whole bunch of iPads. But, you know, there's still the option of some face-to-face interaction. So those experiences are being very, very carefully calibrated as kind of a something-for-everybody kind of experience. And I think that's where, you know, if I had a crystal ball, if I kind of looked at, like, where the future of brick-and-mortar retail is, I think it's, you know, and my dad was a retailer. And I remember, you know, back then that was the notion that this was just the glue. You wanted to buy something, you had to physically show up. That's not the case anymore. So I think now it's about how do you create an experience that's not necessarily going to be the main event for people, but going to be something to fill a need at that particular time. And that's, some retailers have done that well, like Apple. Some are still learning. And when you have a legacy brand like uh, the Bay, which has been around for hundreds of years, literally, sometimes it's a tougher lesson to learn. Yeah, and are they able to shift? Uh, as we shift gears a bit here, uh, and I ask you that question about uh, millennials, and do they really offer what that next generation uh, is looking for, is seeking? Because the millennials, Mike, as you well know, they're starting to enter their prime spending years and wondering whether or not uh, it's the retail industry that's going to experience a, a boom, or is it going to be some other uh, industries that are, a cusp, uh, are on the cusp of something really big here? Yeah, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting, Jeff. And, you know, when you look at, like, a recent report around consumer trends, you know, they talk about industries that are being embraced by millennials. And some of them, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think at first glance would be, would be in that list, like financial services. Except when you, when you read between the lines on that one, the way that financial services are being embraced by millennials is very much along the lines of embracing the technology that drives it. It's not so much, you know, your father or your grandfather's style of banking or savings. What it is, is it's using state-of-the-art technology. It's being able to make big decisions on your phone, and it's being able to keep pace with the way that millennials like to do business. Uh, car shopping is becoming very much a similar type of way. 
camping or, you know, the rise is, uh, as I hear sometimes, glamping. Yes. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's becoming a big thing. Well, those were a couple that really jumped off the list when I was looking at these industries that are set to thrive thanks to millennials. Uh, Camping and fitness, and both of those really make sense to me, Mike, because uh, camping is an experience, and we hear that all the time, that millennials are more into that, into the experiences, and fitness, that uh, we've got a, uh, you know, another generation, the next generation, which is way more health conscious than any of us have ever been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, I I think what else, and and I don't claim to be an economist at all, but there's some very interesting discussion around this right now that, you know, the more expensive real estate gets and the higher the barrier becomes to owning a home, you also start to see a shift in priorities of the way that millennials are spending. So traveling is increasing a little bit more, um, trying to reward themselves with kind of staycations, uh, things that are more kind of transactional, smaller buys. But then you also add in value-based purchases, like fitness you, you mentioned is very important. Millennials have also trended very, very well around the level of social consciousness they have. So it's not surprising that, you know, reconnecting with nature in the form of camping might be a priority too. So I think, you know, if to connect the dots between that and a retailer, if you start to really hone in on what people value the most and structure that physical experience in a way that's not just going to satisfy their transactional needs to buy something, but really, really dig into what they value, then that might be a possibility as well. And that's really changing the nature of retail from more of a transactional buy to much more of an experience, which Apple was one of the earliest to really jump on board with. Yeah, retail, the landscape is shifting so quickly now, like so many other interesting, uh, so many other industries, and it's really interesting to watch all this unfold. Mike Leon with us, marketing expert. Uh, Mike, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much for jumping on. My pleasure. Have a great one.